0: Welcome to From Our Vantage Point, the podcast for nonprofits in BC. Vantage Point is a nonprofit organization that exists to support the people moving BC's not-for-profits forward. Our office is located on the unceded traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Today we're going to speak with Carol Hall, Director of Strategic Initiatives at the Victoria Foundation, Lynette Milkeshin, Director of Childcare Services with the YMCA Northern BC. And Christoph Clodius, vice president with the Discovery Group, based in Vancouver. They're going to be talking about HR trends in BC's nonprofit sector and offering tips for listeners on recruitment, retention, and preparing for changes to the workforce. I'm Cherie Payne, director of government relations and sector development here at Vantage Point. I hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive in. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Cherie Payne, your host. And as you heard in the intro, we are here today with Carol Hall from the Victoria Foundation, Lynette Milkelschen from the YMCA, and Christoph Clodius from the Discovery Group. Welcome, everyone. We brought these three leaders together to talk about trends in HR challenges that are happening now or may be on the horizon, and to get into some solutions and approaches nonprofit organizations can take to prepare for obstacles. Some of our listeners may know that Vantage Point, together with our partners, has just released the 2023 State of the Nonprofit Sector Report. We surveyed organizations around the province, and one of the things we heard most often as we compiled the survey results was concern from nonprofit leaders about current and emerging HR challenges and staff and volunteer trends. So Christophe, why don't we start with you? You're an HR specialist leading searches, placing candidates, observing trends. What kinds of trends are you seeing in in your practice?
1: Well, thanks, Cherie. Great question, and really appreciate the opportunity to speak today. So what I'm seeing is is really coming out of COVID. I think through COVID, for that matter, lots of organizations, unfortunately, had to furlough staff, Cut staff, make some changes to program delivery, or evolve or change their their service delivery models. So teams really, I think, unfortunately, took a hit in many ways. So coming out of that, and not to at all suggest we're post COVID by any means, but coming out of that, along the lines of the report, I really do agree with the the, the conclusions of the report that there's more people more staff really trying to make do with less, because I don't think teams have fully rebounded in terms of their hiring or their practices or really finding a, a true uh, service delivery model that is, that is really emerging from that. So I would say that turnover is trending up, generally speaking, especially with, I think, early career professionals really finding their way, finding their path, making some decisions around where they want to be and what they really want to do in their careers. You know, I find that, uh, typically, our sector doesn't have a good reputation when it comes to turnover, but I think that's a little bit more anecdotal. I think turnover in the social profit sector is really unparalleled uh, with turnover in other uh, sectors as well. And while I hate the term competition, I think there is increased competition among social profit organizations, particularly at those leadership level roles where postings may not be necessarily generating a lot of a lot of candidates, or those candidates aren't particularly strong or being perceived as strong. So, so overall, I think it's really a candidates market. Lots of opportunities for for people to choose their path and and find new directions in new organizations. And one final trend I just want to mention a little bit is is really the uh, the, the the work from home models, the virtual models, we're all doing this virtually. We're spread across the province here, very much work from home, flex time, working in different locations. Is something of a of a new normal, if you will, that that people are now looking for for their organizations to provide. You know, depending on the organization and the role, of course. But those are just a few high level things that I've noticed. I mean,
0: that's very interesting. That the furloughs, the turnovers, the new normal that you're pointing out coming out of out of COVID. Uh, Carol, you know your the uh, the Victoria Foundation was one of the partners in the release of the State of the Sector report. Um, how do some of these broader trends that Christoph is seeing line up with what what you're noticing, either from the report or in your own work?
2: Thanks, Sheree. Uh and it is great to be here as well. Um, as you noted earlier, you know, the HR concerns really showed up as a central theme in the State of the Sector survey and. You know the survey is really a snapshot of what's happening with the sector. So I think what Christoph describes helps make the data kind of come come alive and and more dynamic. And I I think it speaks to the fact that this the snapshot and what we saw when the survey was conducted it is still very much true today. And what organizations are facing on the ground every day with the high turnover. Um, increased competition in hiring, and in the survey, about half uh, of respondents reported increased spending on staff recruitment and retention. So these these pieces really show up uh, in that. And and about three in five reported spending more on salaries and wages. So I think that speaks to what it takes to attract staff in in a candidates market. Um, also in the context of inflation and the high cost of living and what Christoph was speaking to, really how the workplace transformed uh, in the last couple of years and, and um, all the HR issues that you know we really need to pay attention to. One thing that Christoph mentioned that really stands out for me is this higher turnover, this um, kind of uh, increase in turnover of early career professionals. And when you couple that with the loss of, of senior leadership and challenges in hiring leaders, um, you know, it's concerning to me. These are our future leaders in our sector. And, and how do we continue to attract and retain these early career employees to be able to afford, to be able to live in the communities where they're working and have, you know, decent wages to grow and, and have the long, successful careers that I hope they'll have in the nonprofit sector. So, so those are just a, a couple thoughts. But I think that the data really lines up with um, these trends that Christoph is seeing.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting to hear about these broad trends, sort of at the high level. And I know, Lynette, that you're in an interesting position with the YMCA in that you're seeing some of these staffing and um, recruitment hurdles firsthand in your own programs. Is that right?
3: Absolutely. It's kind of normalizing actually to, to hear Christoph and, um, share and, and read the report actually that shows that we're not the only ones experiencing these challenges. Um, I would say for childcare, we're unique in that we did keep working throughout the pandemic, but I think that our challenges are now coming in with, you know, in the report, we could read a bit about staff burnout or, you know, just that resilience people, have not yet built back up their resilience. So I think the other piece is, is just about doing more with less and that, you know, people are looking for flexibility. Both of those ring really so true to me. Um, really seeing a lot of staff wanting specific hours um, or, you know, endless amounts of vacation and time off. And, uh, you know, that really makes operations tricky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> trying to you know operate so that people can go to work within a ratio and and yeah it, it is really tricky but at the same time it's it is the new reality that we're that we're working in so I think mm-hmm. the other piece that rings true is really that competition um for other employers and you know with the shortage of um ECEs professionally trained ECEs in the nation really uh, we, you know, you do see staff that want to leave for 25 cents posted across the street or especially with inflation. People are really, really challenged. So, um, yeah, I, I would agree with, with everything that's been said and certainly what the report reflects that are, are the current trends that we're working in.
0: You know, it's interesting when you even mentioned that 25 25- sent uh, posting across the street. Um, on this call, we're all in different parts of the province. And, you know, we're talking about it being a bit of a candidate's market. There's a lot of competition. Lynette, what, what are you seeing at the YMCA in terms of differences between regions in BC as you recruit for childcare programs?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely, I think you know some of the hardest places to recruit would be places like the Sunshine Coast and in right in the heart of Vancouver, where you know we know the cost of housing is astronomical, and therefore if people that are, are doing those lower paid or entry level positions, as uh, such as early childhood educators, probably aren't living in those areas because they can't afford to, um, and and you know right up into rural BC. So Chetwin and Tumblr Ridge um, and places like Fort St. James is not the cost of housing, is that we're really seeing people that are willing to relocate, but there is no housing. There simply just is such a shortage of housing uh, that, that people try to, to find a place to, you know, we're so excited we get somebody that wants to, to go for a BC PMP or something like that. And yeah, we can't find housing. And so there's... Different challenges, for sure. I would say the consistent pieces are the cost of inflation. Um, Yeah, I I also think some of the different challenges we would see in, you know, the pieces like the northeast piece of the province would be just trying to be competitive in, in our wage. We're competing against oil and gas or mining and you know why would you work with children when you could drive a haul truck for 45 or 50 dollars an hour Uh, so really each region does have its own unique unique challenges but overall it really is about the shortage of, of qualified early childhood educators and recruiting people nationally to this important work
0: what I love about this discussion so far is all of the sort of interwoven complexities that we're identifying. There's, you know, recruiting people, but the competition we are facing from other organizations or other industries in a region, housing, all of these things coming together. So it, it does seem like there are a, a few different um, sort of heads to the problem, maybe we can get into some solutions and proactive approaches that nonprofits can can take to start to address these, these issues.
3: From Our Vantage Point is brought to you by Humanity Financial Management, a chartered professional accounting firm dedicated to supporting Canadian nation builders and movement makers in social sector organizations, social purpose businesses, and indigenous communities and organizations. The humanitarians on our team work with our client partners to shift the balance of power through finance in advance of our shared goals to transform this land into the most environmentally, socially and economically equitable place on earth. Visit Humanity Financial Management online at humanityfinancial.ca.
0: Uh, Maybe I'll start with you, Carol. As a funder, are there best practices that you've begun to see in terms of how grants are distributed that might help nonprofits mitigate some of these staffing challenges?
2: Yeah, there are, and I'd love to speak to that. Um, Just coming back to you know this this idea of how how complex these issues are and interwoven. You know, at a big picture level, when we look at the state of the sector survey, the increase in HR costs. Um, is happening in the context of revenues staying the same overall, and so what Christoph and Lynette mentioned in terms of nonprofits are having to do more with less is really true, and this takes a toll on the people so the the long term availability of unrestricted and sustained funding and funding as a piece of, of the solutions is is critically important um, in the past couple of years during the pandemic we saw something really good happening with funding models actually a real shift to uh, what is often called trust based philanthropy and and good practices around granting uh, to provide flexible general operating funding to organizations and this was incredibly important as organizations sought to shift their program delivery services and the way that they were operating and and respond to the immediate needs that were emerging in the community. And so ultimately, this trust-based philanthropy approach is belief that the organizations working on the ground know best where their dollars can go. And that's what will allow us as funders to be able to have the most impact around our community well-being. One of the things I hear the most often, of course, it won't be a surprise, is is the need for multi-year funding. And and that sustained funding piece is so important as employers are looking to uh, provide certainty to staff uh, around hiring and project-based funding that is year-to-year and uncertain is really hard, I think, to to keep staff uh, on board as they're looking to find housing and, and all the things that have been described earlier. So we really saw this shift during the pandemic. And what we're hearing now is concern that funders are reverting back to old ways. There is, I think, a comment, uh, one of the respondents in the survey said, it's disheartening to see that funders are now going back in large, large part to business as usual. And So really in this time when we're hearing organizations, nonprofits are feeling overwhelmed and stretched, I think as funders, we really need to look for ways to continue to lean into granting practices and trust-based practices. I think it also, for funders, there's a role beyond funding practices and really to be champions for the sector. Uh, This can look like different Different things. Um, The research we've done with Vantage Point and other partners is, I think, a great example of of really grounding uh, and informing our work through um, data from the the field. And then it's sort of the so what of that research like, how do we animate that? And I think advocacy for sustainable funding and amplifying voices of the sector uh, around the need for a government partnership for a labor force strategy. for for a sustained workforce uh, in our sector is an important piece. Uh, The report also notes uh, the need for government funding to adjust uh, for inflation, that the the government funding isn't keeping pace with these rising costs in our communities. Um, So I think ultimately as a funder, we really need to start with building relationships and be trusted partners. So that we are ready to support leaders as they navigate HR and other challenges. And just in the last week, I've had a couple calls from you know, nonprofit leaders looking for a sounding board. And I think that that comes from trust and relationships over time. And as funders, we, we really need to listen and then look for ways to connect our nonprofit leaders to the resources to support them. Uh, so th- those are some thoughts around uh, kind of funding and, and where we're going to, into the future.
0: That's so interesting. It, it sounds like maybe we we did have some learnings over the last couple of years through the pandemic, and you know through the uh, stakeholders are saying there's a danger we might revert back despite what we learned over the last couple of years. So I'm that uh, yeah, I was very interested to hear Carol that what to. The Victoria Foundation and, and your role as a funder, what kinds of advice you might give to your peers. Christoph? what kinds of advice as a headhunter do you provide your nonprofit clients when they're developing job postings and compensation packages?
1: Oh, this is this is the fun part for me. How much time do we have? Because this is where I get excited and working with clients on how to help position them as organizations in this competitive market. And starting off, really, I think it's quite important to start with an organization's mission. You know, too many postings I see start with, you know, we need somebody with this list of qualifications, this many years experience, this credential or this experience, and then somewhere at the bottom might be the organization name or maybe what they're doing, but really start with something compelling. Start the ch- with the change you're trying to make with your organization. Lynette, I'm going to pick up on your answer a little bit, because when you talked about earlier how you're not just competing with other organizations, you're competing with oil and glass and mining. But as the why, you know, you talk about your commitment, your vision, you know, helping children and th- families thrive. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? You know, promoting healthy living. Start off with the really compelling work, the compelling impact that whoever joins you is going to have and be able to really affect on society. That's really compelling stuff. And that's ultimately why we're all doing the work we're doing. So really start off with that, I think, is really quite compelling. And then the second piece I would talk a little bit is is around fair pay, is around pay transparency. I know the report certainly talks about being transparent with compensation, I'm certainly an advocate of that. All my clients, I absolutely insist on it. For that matter, we know so much. The case has been made about pay transparency, salary transparency, helping to oppose inequities and, and traditional disparities in, in salary. But people really want to be paid fairly. They want to understand how that compensation was arrived at, and putting it out into the world really directly is is a big recruiting piece, and it avoids people, you know, not knowing what they're getting into fundamentally at the beginning. And in some ways, for organizations, it also makes research easier. You know what other organizations may be paying. You can understand, are you competitive? Are you not competitive in the marketplace? Looking both at their own postings and of course, CRA public postings for, uh, for salary disclosure information as a part of CRA uh, regulations and so on. And then of course, public organizations in BC also need to disclose their salaries of $75,000 or more. So there's there's good resources to understand, am I competitive? how am i working in the workplace you know how do i stack up against other organizations and the other thing I would say is traditionally, we think of benefits as being those things that are paid, you know, medical, dental, extended health, and so on pension plans. And those are really important pieces. And as the report talks about, there's often inadequate funding for quality benefits, and quite often can make the difference between someone applying or, or not wanting a job. But think about things that might be unique to you as an organization, what are your quote unquote benefits that may not necessarily have a direct financial impact to the organization, but might for a candidate. If you have multiple sites, for instance, does that mean that somebody has a shorter commute? Because saving an hour, a couple hours a day for quality of life in a commute makes a big difference. Same thing, we talked before about work from home opportunities. Is there an opportunity to work a day a week from home again, depending on the work? In some cases, people aren't even aware that their benefits may in fact be employer paid. I worked with a client recently whose entire pension plan was employer paid, and that's worth, you know, 10 to 15% of salary there alone and other you know other non-financial benefits are there great growth opportunities do you promote from within are there mentorship opportunities are are you paired with a senior leader within the organization when you join what are these kinds of things that you can Actively promote and put explicitly in your in your uh, in your positions and your job descriptions and things like that. I think it was I think it was the Victoria Foundation talks about uh, as well how you are an, an equitable organization and a focus on in inclusivity. Putting that up front is really compelling for people that want to do uh, do meaningful work fundamentally.
0: Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're bringing the conversation around to this idea of mission and values, because it mm-hmm. it does seem that although there's a lot of competition across the province, that, the, you know, the nonprofit sector, our mission and our values may be one of the core um, Absolutely. appeals yes. that we have. Yeah. yeah. So. yeah. And, and so we've talked a lot about recruitment, but, uh, you know, Christopher or Carol or Lennett, are there um any ideas or thoughts that uh, your organizations might have around retaining staff? So once we've attracted people in the door, are there creative ways that nonprofits can ensure that we're maintaining a healthy workplace that you know might support retention of staff um, despite some of these challenges?
3: I'd love to jump in here. I know that uh, one of the things that has been um not only do i work for an amazing organization like you said that's so mission driven but one of the pieces that we've really had some success in especially in the north is in training up our own early childhood educators so we've been able to use some of those funders and job grants um the bc jobs grants and we may have someone who's in school-age childcare who really has that um natural ability to be a care provider for younger children, and we've been able to actually help them advance their education so that they've earned their early childhood education certificate. Uh, You know what? They do have to invest the time, but at really no cost to themselves. It's a a shared cost between ourselves and the employer grant. And I can't tell you over the the last several years how many um, folks that we've graduated. It's several, uh, like in getting close to, it's well over 50, I'm sure of that. Uh, But most recently in the Northwest, so in Vanderhoof, we have our manager of childcare operations now, as well as a coordinator of a childcare centre who both were um, recipients of a a provincial award, but both of those people were homegrown uh, through, through the YMCA. And I'm just so proud of, you know, just that's the difference, that we can do those things. We not only support our communities to thrive we support our staff to thrive. So just one example.
0: That's very encouraging. That's very encouraging. Um you know as we come to the the close of our discussion today are there for the three of you are there if you could wave a magic wand and and create a dream scenario are are there any final pieces of advice that you would give to nonprofit leaders or staff? Um, around the issue of recruitment and healthy work environments um, that they could take away and begin to think about in their own organizations?
2: Yeah, I can jump in. Um, you know, I think really looking out at the opportunities, I love Lynette's example of homegrown solutions. And I think that it is really shifting from a scarcity to an abundance mindset. And, and where we can do that, I think, Um, that's where the creativity and the solutions will, will come from. I was in Toronto last month at a conference and a speaker from the Ontario Nonprofit Network was speaking about leadership and decent work. And one of the things she said was that decent work supports the whole human, contributing to conditions needed for people to thrive. And I recognize this is really difficult at times and that everyone and situation is different. But this this really this idea really resonated with me that and something to come back to when we get caught up in in the details and and feel overwhelmed, valuing the whole person and how do we show up as leaders ourselves to help people thrive. I think coming from the strengths based place allows us to think what's possible when we we work together and and um, so I, I feel that, you know, it's not surprising that nonprofit leaders are feeling overwhelmed and that's what has shown up in the survey. Um, but I think it's also really important to look at leaders and the extraordinary job they're doing in challenging conditions to really try to take care of the people. And, and I think that, um, you know, kind of shifting to that abundance mindset will just open up all sorts of, of possibilities.
1: I love it. Yeah, I love that, Carol. Yeah, and if I can just, sorry, if I can just build on Carol's comment as well, you know, I love that, looking at that in my abundance mindset and having leaders look after their teams and the whole person. And I love the emphasis that's that leaders have looked upon themselves in some ways, looking inwardly, taking care of themselves, because I think leaders have become really, I think, I can't remember who used the word, I think it was Lynette talking about burnout. I think some of the transition we're seeing has become leaders, has been because of leaders really, you know, Going through some challenging times through COVID, supporting them te- some, their teams and not necessarily supporting themselves. So more of an emphasis on mental health, more of an emphasis on vulnerability. Being an open leader has really been quite compelling, and I've been quite heartened to see that. And one other point I'll make just around recruiting, and I think again, picking up on what Lynette said. You know, she said that you know she works for a great organization. So I think something along those lines. And the words "join me." can be very compelling when you're doing recruiting, frankly, when your staff, when your board, when members, when ex-members, ex-clients are really, you know, supporting you in your own recruiting efforts. Join me at this great organization, you know, putting it out into the world. There's a great, the great free resources and, and using your own networks and your own and your own, um, your own communities of support, if you will, to put the word out about your own needs as an organization can be a great way to engage others in, in your challenges and get people excited about the abundance to come. That's excellent.
0: Well, Carol, Christoph, Lynette, thank you very much for this discussion today. I wish we had more time to keep the conversation going, but I think you've each given our listeners a taste of what we're hearing from nonprofits around the province what kinds of common challenges are emerging for leaders trying to recruit and keep staff in supportive, sustainable work environments, and what kinds of steps that they can take to help their teams thrive. So thank you so much for your insights today. Um, To all our listeners, I'm Cherie Payne with Vantage Point. Thank you for listening. Well, that concludes our episode on the state of the sector in 2023 and HR trends in BC's nonprofit sector. I hope you learned more about how your organization can work to recruit and retain top talent, and some of the ways our sector can work with funders and with creative tools to support sustainable jobs and healthy workplaces. If you're listening for the first time, Vantage Point is led by CEO Zara Esmail, and we provide education, training, and advocacy support to nonprofit leaders and organizations throughout BC.